Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. It's Easter. And whether you are in the room live, watching online, or later on demand, or even listening on our podcast, it's a great day to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. If you are visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that this is the kind of church where you get to be you. There's no need to pretend that everything's perfect in your life. It's certainly not in ours. We are regular people on a journey, allowing Jesus to make something beautiful out of our broken and often messy lives. One little step at a time, learning to live like Jesus. I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. That team is made up of people committed to helping you grow. We love to challenge, encourage, and equip people to become more like Jesus. So if you're on that journey too, we're looking forward to lending you a hand. And even if you aren't sure that you want to be on that journey with us, maybe you are skeptical about the claims of Jesus or skeptical of his followers. Well, this is still a great place, a safe place to explore and ask questions as you look for answers. We're asking questions and looking for answers too. So I think we can be pretty good company on your journey. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. Okay, most of, most of us here, probably most of you watching online, haven't been in school for a while. You're old. Um, you're going to have to channel your inner student for a few minutes. Did you ever have one of those teachers who stole the joy of your day by announcing a pop quiz when class began? They usually happened the day after you didn't do your homework like you should have, right? Well, good morning. We're going to start the morning with a pop quiz. This is a participation part of the message, which means we need you to chime in on this true or false test. Are we all in? I'm gonna, I'm gonna put a, a statement on the screen and then ask you to vote on whether it is indeed true or false. If you are watching online, you can chat your uh, your vote or just yell at your screen. Alexa or Siri will make sure that we hear you. <laughs> Sound good? Okay, here we go. Fact number one, chimps have more hair than humans. Chimps have more hair than humans, except for you baldies out there. Um, is this fact true or false? If you think this fact is true, raise your hand. Okay, and if you think it's false, Raise your hand. There seem to be um, some undecideds in the room, but the trues have that one. Uh, this fact is false. Though they might look hairier, the truth is that both humans and primates have uh, between two and five million hair follicles on, on, on their bodies. And while primates are furred, humans have two types of hair follicles terminal follicles that give us the hair on our heads and armpits, 
etc. And vellus hair, which is finer and shorter and lighter than terminal hair. Okay, fact number two. Chickens can live without their heads. Chickens can live without their heads. This one should be easy. All of you who think it is true that chickens can live without their heads, raise your hands. Okay, and all of you who think this is false, that chickens cannot live without their heads. Okay, you undecideds have got to get off the fence here. <laughs> well, this answer might surprise you. This one is true. Chicken brains are concentrated at the back of their skulls. And to be honest, there isn't much there anyway. But that means a decapitated chicken can indeed survive for quite a while living off just the, the nerve endings. Uh, Mike the chicken is the most famous example. In 1945, his owner, Lloyd Olson, chopped off his head, but he didn't die. For another 18 months, they, the family fed him food and water directly into his esophagus, to which I say, yuck. Just make chicken dinner at this point. <laughs> okay, moving on to a different type of food. Next fact, baby carrots were invented in 1986. Baby carrots were invented in 1986. Uh, and can I see the hands? Is this fact true? Raise your hands for yes. Baby carrots were invented in 1986. And no, baby carrots were not. The hands of the false truther. Just for the record, I always hated this kind of question because it's so easy to be a trick question. This is the kind of question where the teacher would change the date by one year, making it false because no, they were invented in 1985, not 1986. But in this case, the answer is true. Although to be exact, baby carrots are not actually baby carrots. They are just chopped up normal carrots. Uh, Farmer Mike invented them in 1986 as a way to use, uh, to sell and use those ugly misshapen carrots that nobody wanted to buy because they weren't pretty. Okay, one more, true or false. There is zero gravity in space. There is zero gravity in space. Is zero gravity true? Let me see your hands. Okay, and false. Okay, we've all seen the footage of astronauts doing their spacewalks, just floating around outside of the space station. But in fact, this fact is false. Gravity exists everywhere in the universe. Without gravity, everything would just fly apart and cease to exist. When we see the video footage of astronauts outside of the space station, they are in fact both falling toward the Earth. But even though the space station weighs a lot more than the astronauts, they fall at the same rate because objects with any mass fall at the same rate. I think I need my science teacher to regrade a test or two. <laughs> this all started with a Google search. I was trying to figure out how to do something, so I Googled it. Uh, and as I read down the list of the results, the first result told me that I couldn't do it. I couldn't do what I wanted to do. So did the second. But the third, it said something different. It said I could do it. The fourth one agreed with one and two. The fifth con conflicted with them once again. I don't know whether you've ever had this problem or not, if this happened to you. It's not the first time for me that I've had to try to guess what is true and what is false on the internet. We live in the age of misinformation, false narratives, and fake news. Uh, the internet and social media have made it possible for anyone everyone with an opinion to state their opinion as fact. 
And sometimes those opinions go viral, influencing others to believe anything and everything. How people can believe we live on a flat earth is beyond me. Or that all birds are government robots spying on us. I don't get it. In the sea of information that we swim through, every time we Google something, it's easy to end up drowning in that information. How do you know what is true and what is false? Fact-checking takes more time than any of us have time to waste. When it comes to Easter, when it, when it comes to whether or not Jesus actually died, was buried, and then walked out of the tomb three days later, I would argue that this is the most important fact to fact check in all of history. If the answer is false, if Jesus stayed dead, then we're all wasting our time and should just head out to lunch. But if the answer is true, if Jesus did walk out of that tomb, we need to sit up and pay attention because the implications are staggering. Think about it. If Jesus was who he said he was, if he did what he said he'd do, pre predicted it before it actually happened, then we should probably pay attention to everything else he said and did. And if we do that, life will never be the same again. The good news is that life was much simpler in Jesus' day than our modern Google age, and we actually have access to original first century documents. One in particular was written by a first century fact checker. We know him as Luke, and we find the results of his investigation conveniently packaged in what we know as the Bible. It wasn't packaged that way originally. Originally, it was just a document that Luke, a first century doctor, wrote for a friend who wanted to know if all the rumors were true or if they were just misinformation. So Luke, who wasn't a Jesus follower before the resurrection, but became one after the resurrection, took the time to interview eyewitness after eyewitness in order to make sense of the story of Jesus. Bits and pieces of the story were floating around the region, and he wanted to write an account of the story of Jesus, Jesus' words, his miracles, an account of his betrayal, arrest, trials, death, and burial, and of course, his resurrection, an, an account that made sense. So he did the work of tracking down and interviewing everyone he could before writing down an accurate account of Jesus' life for his friend, Theophilus. We're going to pick it up near the end of Luke's account, but if you've never read it, I'd suggest taking the time later to read it from the beginning. That way you can read everything that Luke found. If you're following along in your Bible or in your YouVersion Bible app, we're going to start in Luke chapter 23. Uh, by this point in the story, Jesus has already been betrayed by Judas. He's been arrested and stood trial, uh, first before the religious leaders and then before Pilate. He was then beaten and mocked by the soldiers before carrying his own cross as far as he could on his own. When he became too weak to carry it any further, the soldiers pulled a man named Simon of Cyrene out of the crowd to carry it behind Jesus the rest of the way. Luke 23:33 tells us that when they came to a place called the skull, they nailed him to the cross. And the criminals were also crucified, one on his right and one on his left. Scholars tell us that he was nailed to the cross 
at the same time in the morning as the, the sacrifice for atonement would have been made at the temple. And he hung there until the evening or afternoon sacrifice would have been made. All, all the while, the crowds were mocking and jeering. Uh, the crowd was made up of people who had come to Jerusalem for Passover, one of the three festivals that the Jews were required to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for each year. Uh, the, the religious leaders were there mocking him as well. And a few of Jesus' faithful followers stood in the back, grieving. Up to this point in his ministry, Jesus had an entourage of disciples following him around. Most of us know that there were 12 big D disciples, but in total there were 120 to 150 little D disciples as well. Men and women who believed and gave up their regular lives to follow him around the country. Most of them had melted away into the shadows. They had returned home or gone into hiding because they were afraid for their lives. They knew that the religious leaders would be gunning for any of Jesus' supporters to make examples of them as well. The religious leaders wanted to stamp out the entire Jesus movement so that their lives could return to normal. All of Jesus' followers thought the Jesus movement was over. After today, there would be no Jesus to move. The religious elites had won. Matthew 17 tells us that Jesus told them in advance what would happen. He writes, After they gathered again in Galilee, Jesus told them, The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed. But on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And the disciples were filled with grief. So even though Jesus had tried to prepare them in the, these moments of grief, they forgot those moments of grief. It was over. They were broken and disillusioned, confused, not sure what to do next. For sure, it, it was over. There was no longer any Jesus movement. Even though Luke doesn't say it in his account, we know from John the disciple uh, that one of the soldiers thrust his spear into Jesus' side to make sure he was dead. And then Luke tells us about Joseph of Arimathea. And John adds that Joseph was joined by Nicodemus. These were two religious leaders who were secret followers of Jesus. Joseph went to Pilate for permission to bury Jesus. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth and laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. Now put a pin in that for a moment. A more accurate translation would, would say only that it was preparation day. So we'll come back to that in just a minute. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. Now it's interesting that it was the religious leaders responsible for Jesus' death who remembered what he said about coming back to life again. 
Not that they believed it, but so that the disciples couldn't steal the body and then claim Jesus had come back to life, the tomb was sealed and guarded by Roman guards for three days. Now, I know that the three days part has been confusing for some people. I mean, we celebrate Jesus' death on Friday and then the resurrection on Sunday. By my count, that is two days. Uh, a few years ago, when we were studying Matthew's gospel together, we learned that scholars today have used computers to go back in time to try to determine the actual date of Jesus' death and resurrection. By their best measure, in the year that Jesus died, Passover would not have been on Friday, but had actually begun Thursday night. Just like Christmas changes what, what day of the week it is on each year, Passover changes from year to year. For example, Passover this year was on Wednesday, April 5th. All that to say that in the year that Jesus was most likely crucified, Passover would have been on Thursday, not Friday. And Friday would then become a Passover Sabbath. The religious leaders would have done nothing that day as they followed the Sabbath rules. All of their manipulations to kill Jesus would have happened before sundown on Thursday or they would have had to have waited until after Passover week. And even though Friday was a Passover Sabbath, Saturday would have still been a regular Sabbath day, meaning that there were two Sabbath days in a row. So Jesus was actually crucified and buried on Thursday and laid in the tomb until the third day, Sunday. But very early on Sunday morning, Luke 24, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and then and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that, that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Now we know from the other Gospels that Peter and John, who raced Peter to the tomb, weren't left out. Jesus appeared to them both while they were there. Luke tells us that in all, Jesus appeared to the women, to the disciples on multiple occasions, and to two men walking toward Emmaus from Jerusalem. The Apostle Paul, who would have been one of the religious leaders voting to kill Jesus before he died, and who then tried to stamp out the church after the resurrection before his own life was own life transformed formation, tells us, he tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus also appeared to 500 more people 
before ascending into heaven. Take that, you religious conspiracy theorist. That's a lot of eyewitnesses. Luke's orderly and accurate account of Jesus proves that Jesus lived, died, and was buried before miraculously resurrecting three days later. And it's not the only account of Jesus that has survived the test of time. Luke tells us that there were many people doing what he was doing at the time that he was doing it. Uh, many people were writing down what they witnessed, what they experienced with Jesus. Three of those other accounts have survived and been included in the Bible as well. We know them as Matthew, Mark, and John. But they weren't the only ones. The other accounts just didn't survive the almost 2,000 years since it happened. And if that doesn't convince you to take Jesus seriously, maybe this will help. If Jesus had stayed dead, if he hadn't resurrected on the third day, how would you know? Think about it. Little s saviors have come and gone for thousands of years. And unless you are a historian, we don't know their names. We don't know what they stood for. We don't know how they died or who followed them. Their legacy has faded into oblivion. If Jesus had stayed dead, there would have been no story to tell. There would be no church. All of his followers would have tucked their tails between their legs and gone home. Embarrassed that they wasted three years. So there would be no church. If Jesus had stayed dead, all of those people who were trying to write down the story of Jesus would have saved their time and money. There wasn't a Staples where you could just buy reams of paper. Parchment or papyrus wasn't cheap. You wouldn't waste that on a story of failure. You'd save that for an epic story worth telling. Like the story of a risen Savior. A God who gave up his own life to atone for the sin of mankind. A king who conquered death and the grave and who even now is waiting to return so that he can take his people home. That is a story worth telling. And because it isn't fiction, because it is true, the implications are staggering. They should be life-changing. This same Savior who predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off is calling you to live your life for him. Not just at Easter or Christmas, but every single day living for him. To believe in the original language of the Bible requires that you act on the information you have. You don't believe it until, you, until it changes you. If you look at the, ep the evidence objectively, the entire epic story of Jesus is unquestionably true. And because it is true, Jesus hasn't faded into oblivion like all of the other little s saviors. He changed lives then and is still changing lives today. His story has changed my story. His story is still changing my story. Will you let it change yours? Will you believe? Let's pray. Father, we, are, we have gathered here today as the body of Christ 
ready to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. But what is also true is that in this room, watching online, we probably fit into three categories of people. People who, who believe and it has changed their lives, it's changing their lives and they are uh, sold out for the kingdom of God, sold out to becoming like Jesus. And then there's also a group of people who don't believe. And somewhere in the middle, there's a group of people that would say they believe, but it hasn't changed their lives the way the Bible would describe belief doing. So in, the, in these moments, Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to do his perfect work in each life. I'm here to tell you that it's, it's not too late to give your life to Jesus. Everything that we read about him in the, in the word of God is true. He is God who became man to pay the price for our sin which has had separated us from any, the, the hope or the possibility of a relationship with God. We were dead men walking, alive in the body, but dead in the spirit. Until Jesus came for the forgiveness of the sin that had separated us from God. If you fall into that category today of people who uh, up to this point in your life, you haven't believed in Jesus. I want to invite you to, to make a change today. To interject Jesus into your story. To allow him to come and begin to, to change your story, to change your life for the glory of his kingdom. Uh, day by day from here on out. If you want to begin that journey today, all you have to do is say yes. Yes, I believe that my sin has kept me from a relationship with God. I believe that, that Jesus came for my sin. And that at the cross, it was forgiven once and for all. And now I want to live for Jesus. It's that simple to surrender your life to Jesus. It gets harder from there. But it's that simple to begin with. For those of you in the room who might be in that middle category, who um, maybe you come, at, come to church on Christmas and Easter, it really hasn't impacted your life the way that you, you know that you're called to let it impact your life. Let, let today be the day where that changes as well. For you, just say, yes, God. Today will be different. Tomorrow will be different because I want to live for you. And then, God, do your perfect work as you change our stories for the glory of the King that we love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, on your own or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. Faithful people like you make this ministry possible. People who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring, who have experienced God's work in and through their own lives and been changed in the process. If you are just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. We are simply excited to play a small part as God did His perfect work in you today. For those of you who would like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And one more thing, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you connect with us. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. Even more, thank you for sharing our services with your friends and family. God uses you to plant seeds in other people's lives, so keep sowing. And if this service was a blessing to you, it'll probably be a blessing to someone else too. Until we meet again, I am praying that God's richest blessings would overflow in and through your life.